Okay, welcome back, everybody, or welcome for the first time if you're joining us uh, as a new guest. Uh, this is Bar Talk, the Spirits and Beverage podcast uh, from the Relief and Resource Company in Fenton, Michigan. Uh, we're coming to you, as always, courtesy of iLogic Media, and this is our second episode. I'm John Foley, your host, joined with my um, previous co-host, Mark Miller. What's up, guys? And making her um, debut on the podcast, and uh, will be with us many times in the future. It's Courtney mm-hmm. Booms. Uh, Courtney is also uh, uh, lead bartender here at the Relief and Resource, and uh, part of the management team helps us uh, run the place. And today we're going to t- talk about a subject near and dear to uh, all of our hearts, but Courtney's especially, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And this is an episode entitled The Rise, Fall, and Rise Again of Irish Whiskey. And since next week is St. Patrick's Day, uh, what more, uh, what a better opportunity, I guess, to to focus on Irish whiskey and, and talk about it a little bit more. It's an interesting uh, product because I'm sure we're going to get into this later, but it's actually the highest growth spirit category for the last 31 years, which is an amazing uh, thing to consider. But most people know very little about Irish whiskey or really consider it in terms of two or three brands. So today we're going to talk about the history of it, the production, uh, its decline, its resurgence, and kind of talk about how those things happened and, and why they happened and what, what resulted in the product that we drink today. And then talk about some brands that we really, really love and maybe some things that you're not sipping that you should because it's, um, as we're going to mention later, Irish whiskey is amazing. And you're also going to be able to find a great deal of product at a very attractive price point. So it's one of the easiest types of whiskey. Oh, yeah. I think to get into. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, so okay, I'll kind of Also, I want to make you mention, first of all, that this is only the second episode, and it's the first instance of uh, show sheet sabotage because Courtney <laughs> threw a bunch of Gaelic on here that I think she thought I was going to try to pronounce, and it would have I just would have been crushed if I had tried to. So um, I'm not Side saying, note I'm not saying yeah. that you can. She also that. speaks Welsh, so right. <laughs> right. that's yeah. what we're dealing with. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I'll take that part over. You part mind, yeah. right? So uh, Keed Mil Floysha is just a thousand welcomes in Gaelic. If you uh, go to Ireland, you'll hear that a lot. Anytime you're getting introduced, um, especially like at a distillery or a bar or just anyone who's just like wicked friendly. Um, but uh, if, if it's cool, I'll kind of take over a little professor's role here and go into uh, kind of the timeline and then yeah. focus on a ton, Learn of, us some stuff. <laughs> a ton of facts because it is in a, relation. It's an old history. It starts uh, around 600 AD. Right. So it's going to get you uh, right out there with the Irish monks. They're going to start using distillation equipment from the continent, although its origins are uh, by Muslim scholars. Right. They're using it to make perfumes and medicines and things like that. Um, but the Irish monks, uh, they have a tipple, they have a little sip, and they find that they get a really nice buzz. And um, they begin modifying it, eventually using local grains to create a more potable spirit they call Ishkabaha. Um, it's kind of written uh, similar to like Uski Betha, but Ishkabaha is the pronunciation. In um, Latin, you'll also get aquavite, and it just means the water of life. Water of life, yeah. 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 And that probably <laughs> makes it mandatory that we do a show on aquavite. At, At some, some point. point. No, yeah. that would be yeah. great. I'm sure well, Robin would yeah, be on it Robin as well. Come. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ishkabaha is used for the most part, but um, by 1405, you get the anglicized or English version um, from Fishki or later Visky and Whiskey. Um, it's referenced in the death of a Klan McNoise chieftain. He drinks a surfeit of it 
Um, and I Googled the amount and it just says excessive. <laughs> nice. So I'm assuming it's like at least a pitcher, maybe a whole quarter cask. He was getting like turned that. regardless. I think way. they're probably all getting <laughs> That's probably something. You can incorporate that into service too. Like, you know, I had to cut them Would off. You they, like drink a a, they drink a sure fit of, <laughs> of, of, of alcohol. Yeah. We had to cut them off. Yeah. Yeah. If I see that in the manager log in the morning, I'm going to be really happy. <laughs> um, but I mean, like in general, it's getting made from 1600 AD and you're continuing to see it through the 1400s. Again, you're going to see it in uh, 1608. You're going to get another reference from the licensing, right? So the first Irish distillery to get their license is Bushmills, County Antrim in the north from King James. Um, the landowner there is uh, Sir Thomas Phillips. Um but in general, farmers, just like you would kind of think of like White Dog or White Lightning, Moonshine, have been making this spirit for years just to try to like get used to their, or excuse me, use through their excessive grain. And it was always barley. Always. Yeah. yeah. But unmalted barley, right? Well, this kind of comes in later. So what they're making right now is uh, called putchin or putin, not to be confused with... Um, the kind Canadian? of poutine, poutine right? Yeah. Not not hey. fries and gravy and cheese. This is a poutine meaning small pot. So they're making young barleyed, unbarreled spirit basically. Um, and I mean, this is long before the licenses have even come out. Um, people make it so they're like not about to pay now. For the most part, you're getting a limited amount of licensing. We're running parallel with licensing and production in Scotland. Correct. Correct. So. Um, Timeline-wise. Timeline-wise is very yeah. similar. Um, Scotland has been making also uh, malted spirits, um, barley, whiskey, yeah. you know, but um, it kind of, it starts changing later on. So, um, in fact, it's 1785 that the British Crown is wanting to get more money, so they're not getting licensed money, so they're going to start taxing malted barley. And that's actually where the unmalted barley comes in, right? The Irish so, were not happy about this. No, right? no, like, that was complete and utter uh, crapola. So. I, I actually, I, I heard a saying earlier because I was like watching some YouTube videos, yeah, just like yeah. catch myself up on Irish whiskey history, and it, it was funny because it was like the I, there's only one thing the Irish hate more than the English, and that's their taxation. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair statement. There. Or they did, yeah. you know, back in, in those times. I mean, they're incredibly clever. It's a cheeky move, but yeah. altogether they find that it's like beneficial. Not only does it enhance the grain and cereal qualities of the whiskey, but it adds this really nice, like sharp, um, almost sour fruity note. So you get like green apple and lemon in a lot of Irish mm -hmm. whiskey as well. And that's consistent now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. One, of the, one of the great things about Irish whiskey is that it's so it's so mellow and so elegant that orchard fruit and other types of fruits really show through. Yeah, yeah, no, they want that. And then, um, you know, it's also providing by keeping the malted barley because they still keep it in part. They're getting that rich body and complexity that they desire. And they're just getting all these new flavors kind of coming in. And it just it's continuing to become a very popular spirit. I mean, uh, notable people who have been no, like have been said to have enjoyed whiskey are like um, Peter the Great, Sir Walter Raleigh, uh, Liz One, so Elizabeth the First. Um, Liz One. <laughs> <laughs> the OG. Yeah. It was a missed opportunity on that Cape Blanchett film. They should oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, the Snyder Cut, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's four and a half hours yeah, long. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, but that's, that's, the, like, that's the first half of this three-part series, right? That's the rise completely. And you've got these flavors, and they're fantastic. Um, but in comes the coffee still, 
So it's 1830 when Aeneas Coffee, who uh, was previously a whiskey tax collector, you were just talking about how yeah. uh, the crown wanted its its cut. Um, he does create this still, which uh, makes like a faster and cheaper way of producing whiskey. Um, and he does try to sell it to the Irish first, but they are just not impressed uh, with the way that this this new still is creating um, spirit. Because previously it was all pot still, right? Copper pot still. Yeah, they stick to yeah. their guns and they want the pot still because they find that not only that it's a tradition, but they like the way that the um, distillation process brings more to them, more body to their whiskey. Yeah, and you can still see that division now. I mean, there's some Irish whiskeys oh, yeah. that you would probably desire a great deal because they're pot still. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the spot whiskeys and red breast, you know, yeah. that, that tastes very different because of pot distillation. So you can, still, you can still prefer one over the other. And, I, and the, the division's kind of cool because now you can you can divide things up into styles. Yeah, and bit. and indeed the the development of the coffee still is what kind of produces um, the the strain that Scotch now takes, mm. right? So um, the Scottish take coffee up on his offer that the Irish turned down, and it's to their extreme benefit. Um, so that's like part one of the decline. But then there's also a period of temperance that's kind of growing in Ireland. Um, Father Theobald Matthew is an Irish Catholic priest. He's a teetotaler and he's a founder of the Total Abstinence Society. Um, it only takes him five years to get half the entire adult population of Ireland to take the pledge. Um, so basically they're just vowing not to drink or do any of the fun stuff. Seems like an awful way to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just completely <laughs> devoid of vices. I think what's most important to note about that is that, um, you know, they got that over with, they did it and the, the United States never even tried to emulate something <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, right. similar. That would have been a horrible mistake. Sure. Yeah. That might come up later, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of the few times that the US looked at something another country did and was like, oh, maybe we'll actually think about this before we just <laughs> yeah, follow traits, you know? That's true. Yeah, it takes some time, for sure. Um, but in general, like, uh, again, around that same time, so they're dealing with the coffee still, they're dealing with the temperance movement, and um, the distillers in Dublin are starting to get really ticked off for a number of reasons, but they focus their anger on the coffee still. Um, 1879, the four biggest distillers in Dublin, John and William Jameson, John Powers, and George Rowe, um, they're having none of it, and they publish a pamphlet called The Truths About Whiskey. And it is basically um, just a campaign to try and strictly and legally define whiskey. They do not want anything that's coming from the coffee still. They're calling it a silent spirit to try and like deter people away from it. Um, they're also denouncing government ministers and corrupt, as corrupt fraudsters. There was a bunch of grievances about mislabeling and distribution and just like the absence of regulation on production in general. And um, it's not until, let's see, 1909 that the one thing that they're able to do, any of the Dublin distillers are able to do, because in general, the Royal Commission just, just poo-poos that. They ignore it completely. A pee -pee. <laughs> the request for regulation kind of mirrors almost uh, the same exact time, maybe you know, 14 years earlier, the, the um, Bottle and Bond Act. Yeah. So in yeah. Both, yeah, on both sides of the ocean, you're trying to define what it is. Yeah. And you're trying to say, well, this is, why, this is why, how it should be made and why. Here's how we define what's good and what's not. Right. Yeah. And I mean, for different reasons, politically, obviously. Yeah. As a corporation, if you're, if anyone's making this spirit, they're trying to define theirs as the best compared right. to anyone else. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's going on. The best the Irish can do in 1909 is they add the E. So this is where you're getting the difference between W H I S K Y for Scotch and a good portion of world whiskies. 
But um, Irish add the E and they've got W-H-I-S-K-E-Y. Which Irish distillers then do in America. Right. That's right. American yeah, product yeah, yeah. picks up this bottle yeah, as well. Yeah, and Ryan Bourbon are still branded that way. And that's I think that's a question we still get a lot. I mean, if, as, Why beverage, is it as beverage this? professionals, yeah. yeah. I feel like yeah. I get that one about a dozen times a year. I yeah. mean, a ton of times in, in menus, you'll see the parenthesis around the ease because of this. Yeah, which well. we it's, do. Yeah, yeah. And it's generally, you know, that super simple rule. Like, if there's an E in the name of the country where the spirit is made, Ireland, there's an E America. in whiskey. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Generally. It's a good, yeah, it's yeah. a good memory tool. Except for Maker's Mark and Old Forester. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ignore those guys. Yeah. Um, right. So they're they're battling the silent spirit, the coffee still. They're battling temperance, uh, but the bad news isn't over. Easter Day, 1916, um, things come to a loggerhead between Ireland and the British government. Um, and it starts the War of Independence. Now, there's a ton of podcasts that you can look up to get, like, deeper into this because... Whiskey is not the only reason why they go to war, although it'd be a great reason. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, it was for Ireland, especially. It's, you know, it's a long and tumultuous it's, it's, history. Yeah, it's yeah. So much, it's so much worse than that. Yeah, but if you if you do limit it to to talking about the like relation to making whiskey, um, you're going to see sales across the empire dwindle. Um, Britain is not. Uh, taking anything in from Ireland. Ireland is doing the like, uh, right? So 1922, you've got the Irish Free State and Eamon de Valera um, is just got this huge retaliatory trade war against Britain. It's tit for tat on tax goods and um, British arms have a larger reach. You know, they can uh, source from without the empire and Ireland is effectively on its own. So production just takes a dive uh, completely at that point. And it's a torrential bummer, but there's another one because in 1920, the US has entered Prohibition. Prohibition. Right? The January. Volstead Act, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. 18th Amendment decimates the industry. Um, I mean, not entirely, but effectively so, right? Um, the U.S. has been one of the largest contributors. Um, you get the fallout from that for decades. Yeah, decades, yeah. decades. Yeah. Without a doubt. Cocktails don't don't recover from that for forever. Oh, years yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I have to imagine, too, you know, the, the like, early, you know, like, Irish immigrants probably brought a lot of that over with them you for know? sure yeah. and so, and, well and then with the with techniques and desire generations who still want that spirit right know, like, yeah, yeah like for up, like so up the, here like in michigan i still there's a big affection for canadian whiskey yeah it's not oh, just yeah. because we're right by canada it's because that was what was being bootlegged over you know, yeah that's, yep. during prohibition that's what we got and bootlegging makes a good point because like irish whiskey is coming in but with the decimation from the years before um, it's not coming in fast enough. So bootleggers mm -hmm. actually start marketing their like bathtub hooch colored with shoe polish as Irish. Yeah. And just overall, it pushes favoritism closer to scotch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, well, Which is coming and, in from Canada. And in American, Canada, yeah. in Canada, yeah, just Canadian, like cheaper blended whiskey. Yeah. They were really well placed. That's part to of the empire. In. They're completely happy to, to purchase scotch. And it can be produced very quickly, very easily in mass. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. And, but, and, I'm sorry to interrupt one more time. But no, like, go ahead. I, I do remember reading at one point at the end of the 1800s there were there were about 28 distilleries. Yeah, in at Ireland, a maximum. And then it goes down quickly to like two. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's going to come in later the the forming of the IDL, but in general, like, there's, so there's many of what's these in get Dublin underneath though. Exactly, yeah. and all of your smaller distilleries because there was like at once a thousand distilleries. Like at its its highest peak, there was a thousand distilleries in Ireland, and it's been dwindled down to about twenty, and then again to about two. The scope of that is it's unbelievable. Massive. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's insane. Yeah. Um, right. So, prohibition eventually ends, 1933, 
uh, 21st Amendment. Um, but the harsh blow means that like there's there's new demand coming in to America, right? We're done with prohibition. I want all the whiskey. Yeah. Um, but Ireland just can't meet the new demand. And again, you're going to find scotch kind of swooping right in there to fill in the spot that was once, you know, held in, held by Ireland, excuse me. Yeah. Um, and it takes a really long time. I mean, it's not until 1966 that the IDL that I mentioned is formed. And that stands for Irish Distillers Limited, which is basically anyone left afloat in Dublin yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> after that like, like huge period of, of loss. Three guys are like... Let's get together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they um, they do try to create a campaign for like a re-emerging Irish market. Um, well, I have to imagine too, just like take a step back a couple of years, um, you know, soldiers coming back from World War II who yeah. are, you know, They've abroad, been out there. They tasted scotch. They maybe tasted, you know, Irish whiskey. They And they wanted to have that, you know. Well, and vodka. Completely, yeah. And vodka, yeah. And vodka. Well. And yeah. That's, that's a huge part of it because mm -hmm. America didn't have a taste for vodka not a, for not, a while. So yeah. you have to imagine, you know, that demand kind of really increased. Thus yeah, the in terms of drinking yeah. in this country, I feel like people don't realize how new vodka is mm -hmm. in perspective. Yeah. yeah. Global perspective yeah, being like the it, biggest reason why we, we're getting the spirits that we are allowed to have, well, not allowed to have, that we have a market for today. And it mm -hmm. does start kind of post-war. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, continue. Exactly. We're in the 60s. No, it's all good. Yeah, we're in the 60s. IDL is formed. Um, and they're just kind of like just kind of keeping, treading water, just kind of keeping their heads above water. Um, but uh, it takes them about a decade before they're able to reach like the mass production skills that Scotch has. Um, they they form a conglomerate and then they open up a new distillery. It's kind of like state of the art. Uh, they have three 75,000 liter pot stills um, in County Cork and Middleton. Um, Middleton very rare being one of the, the most common um, brands of whiskey that people will, will note from this, but you know, they're also making Jameson, they're making Powers, Redbreast and Greenspot, again, huge names. Um, and that mega facility at like, I think around the eighties is able to make over 2 million cases of whiskey oh, wow. where they had once bottomed out around 20 or excuse me, 200,000 cases. It's a huge jump. Right. Yeah. Um, the monopoly is great because, like I said, they're keeping their heads above water, but it's broken in 1987 by John Teeling, um, Teeling Whiskey. Uh, they use the old Cooley, oh, excuse me, an old chemical facility that turns into the Cooley distillery, um, which the monopoly is lost. But then in uh, the following year, Pernod Ricard, French pronunciation, I'll defer to you. Pernod Ricard. Yeah. Pernod Ricard yeah. um, takes an interest in IDL and actually purchases it. Purchases it? Yeah, that's right. Sounds um, right. Yeah. Cooley, is Cooley eventually purchased by, by Beam? Cooley is also eventually purchased by Beam. That's right. But these purchases um, just like just open up uh, the world market to them. Right? Yeah. The the distribution is is able to like kind of cross the entire span of the globe. And whiskey with an E is just positively trending again, mm -hmm. both in production now and where, in where you're, you're saying this is on uh, 87, 88? Yeah, it's going to start in mid mid eighties. The kind of like interest and in the the conglomerate, you might say, um, but it's eighty eight specifically when Pernod buys out IDL. So Pernod buys out in eighty eight, and by the time ninety eight rolls around, when I first went to university and um, started working in, in restaurants and bars, at that point, I feel like just ten years later, Jameson was ubiquitous. Jameson is a everywhere. huge. Uh, huge for the college crowd as well at yeah. that time, for sure. And that's, it's I that mass market again. At, at, at my age and lower, I mean, that's the intro. That's, yeah. that's where the door kind of opens for Irish whiskey. 
I, do you have a story about when you first kind of experienced Irish whiskey? Unfortunately, I, I'm pretty sure it was from Picklebacks. Oh. <laughs> yeah, see, you got, you're younger, so Picklebacks <laughs> yeah. were your thing. Like, yeah. but oh, no, they're not, not my me. thing. No, no, no. no. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. Got, I don't know what you do under that. <laughs> the, um, yeah, I'd say my the, first the car bomb was a, was the unfortunate shot of my, uh, my cover bomb. The car bomb. Car bomb. Oh, car yeah, bomb. was yeah, my yeah. my unfortunate shot. In, in There's a lot of unfortunate names of my. Yeah, yeah. that's a really Cocktails. bad one. So yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I'd say my first story was of Jameson was, was the first Irish whiskey that I had. Probably was picklebacks. Yeah, yeah and this, you know, I, I'm not going to turn this into a, a bash Jameson show, but I, one thing I will give Jameson credit for is they never met. A trend train that they didn't want to hitch their wagon. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like their marketing pickle juice fantastic. sounds That's weird, exactly but we'll do it. it. It's yeah. Marketing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like drop it into Guinness. Fine, weird, but we'll do it. Like, yeah, they were. Give it a go. They, they really, truly put that brand out there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, by the time I feel like the '90s were were winding down, that was the shot. That was the whiskey shot. Yeah, but in the '90s, the traditional styles of Irish are also coming back. Yeah, in, in exactly. huge force. I mean, it's a notable player, and you mentioned like the last thirty. I read since 1990, the highest growth category in spirits gotcha, has yeah. been Ireland, uh, Irish whiskey each year. No, I'd agree with that. I've been to a couple of distillers every time. Obviously. It's like the last 20 plus years, 25 years, 30 years that it's expanded. I mean, we see a ton of new companies, right? Like um, Dublin Liberties and Writer's Tears, things like that all come out either in the 90s or, or shortly Egan's. thereafter. Egan's. Yeah. Um, you're seeing revived old ones. So you've got like Rowan Cove. That was very new. Uh, um kind of building and and manufacturing there. McConnell's is another one too. Kilbegan. Kilbegan is another yeah, yeah revives. Out of curiosity, because it is one of my favorites, what about like Redbreast? Like when did that Redbreast is part by? of the IDL in okay. that Middleton They're part distillery. Of gotcha. Yep. Yeah. gotcha. They are the ones that kind of survive the, the they test of time. Spot are the pot still whiskeys gotcha. in the Middleton portfolio. Yeah. But innovation with mash bills, stilling techniques, maturation, barrel, finish, barrel finishing. Barrel yeah. finishing. Yeah, and like all oh, that's coming back in again. I'll, I'll admit freely. Um, well, first I have to cop to a to a mispronunciation uh, or a mistake last show because as I said, Dublin Libraries from Liberties, um, which helped create the Dead Rabbit whiskey. But as somebody who's a little bit older in this in this particular industry, it took me a long time to go back to Irish whiskey because I had dismissed it for so long. Because in favor I, of Scotch, in favor of Scotch, in favor of bourbon, in favor of of using literally any other whiskey to make a cocktail with because I was so accustomed to just seeing Jameson or just seeing a couple other brands that I really felt that I didn't have as much to pull from. And I, that's that could never be less true than it is right now. Irish whiskey is one of the more exciting um, styles. And, and it's the production of that really strange history, if you think about it as well. It is, right? yeah. It Barrel is. finishing comes from um, French grape uh, virus, right? Like that kind of goes down and then Phloxera. Phloxera. Thank yeah, you. Right, yeah. Um, all those barrels are empty the noble rot, and they yeah. start using sherry barrels for finishing instead of wine barrels port. and port. Yeah. 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 Or ex-bourbon barrels. Yeah. Ex-bourbon also for yeah. sure. For sure. And so now I mean, one thing, if you take a, anything away from the show beyond the amazing history lesson that, that we just got from Courtney, um, no, don't laugh. That was amazing. It was long. Uh, was it? Uh, is that Irish whiskey is is complex and accessible at the same time, which is a really really cool thing. Also, it's affordable. So if you're on a budget and you want to explore great whiskey, 
and you feel intimidated by trying to chase the the bourbon brands that all your buddies are posting on Facebook groups that you can't find or can't afford, and single malt scotch is just out of your reach, craft the Irish because there's an amazing amount of product. That what was the quote from last um, champagne taste with a beer budget? Yeah, if you have champagne <laughs> taste on a beer budget, Irish is your way, man. Like there's, there are a lot of bottles that you can get for 35 bucks or less that are really, really, really good. And they're they're nuanced and expressive, and you don't feel guilty drinking them because you didn't pay an arm and a leg, you know, to, to put the bottle on your shelf. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a class of spirit that gets overlooked a lot, but once you dig into it, there's so much nuance that you can find, you yeah, know, in, in the drams. Yeah. yeah. And you know the way St. Patrick's Day is in this country, um, which is a little unfortunate. We we tend to get caught up in the pageantry and the and the gimmicks of the holiday rather than reaching for for products that are really really wonderful and genuine products from the country. So you know, not to be preachy, but maybe this year put down the green beer and the pickleback and reach for um, you know a good pint of Irish beer if you can find it and a nice sip of, of whiskey, and because you'll find you don't want to you don't want to shoot it, you want to sip on it yeah yeah absolutely and um cocktails too i mean i see a lot of stuff with like um midori because it's green you're gonna add like a bunch of peach schnapps you've got the was it the green tea shot because it's got yeah. Jameson in it yeah yeah uh you can skip those over if you want and maybe go for like a tipperary irish coffee you could do a tipperary. that's the second yeah. show in a row of the tipperary cocktails it's yeah fantastic, yeah though. it's hard to get over yeah so in here and if you want to really prove to your friends that you're hardcore you can do um green chartreuse shots on St. Patrick's Day. It's not Irish, but... <laughs> Get real lit yeah. <laughs> after about two of them. Yeah, Without you'll be, noticing you'll be real too. tough for an hour and then you'll be crying because <laughs> you can't find the keys that are literally in your back pocket <laughs> in two hours. But um, back to cocktails, I think that Irish whiskey has become one of my favorite spirits to pull for, for a stirred cocktail. Well, you know me, I, I personally don't have much of a preference for bourbon because I taste too much corn in it every time mm -hmm. I have it. So Irish will, if you pop that right in there, it works for almost anything I could imagine bourbon working for. Yeah, the more I drink bourbon neat and the more I work with it, um, it's not that I don't think it's a good cocktail. Uh, oh, it's uh, great. Spirit, it's but I, I, I want to work with it less because I can, yeah. I can pull more from Irish whiskey or scotch when I start putting things in, yeah. when I start putting other things in. Especially I, with those those uh, sour and crisp notes that I mentioned too, yeah. that the unmalted barley brings. Yeah, you can pull different fruits in with Irish, you can pull um, different sugar agents in with Irish. So I, it's a fun challenge to work with Irish whiskey in, in cocktails. Yeah. yeah. Now, does Irish whiskey, does it have to be 100% barley or can they throw other grains in there? Um, you can get other grains in there. Um, Unlike like bourbon, where it's like a certain percentage of the mash mm. bill, right? Yeah, that's really what I was asking, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's not uh, not necessary. Unmalted is characteristic. Okay. Um, but you will get certain ones that you're going to have a higher percentage of malted barley because they want that flavor. Sure, yeah. That robust um, kind of body. Yeah, just, um, for the for the benefit of people who don't know, the, the single malt, it means malted barley from one single distillery. So the single means the distillery and the malt means malted barley. There aren't that many Irish single malts right now That's correct. available to like the, the average person going to a going to a party store. But um, Bushmills being one that is predominantly single malt with the, I mean, the age expression whiskey. Yeah, almost anything you get exactly over like Blackbush um, is going to be, if not single malt, then nearly there. Yeah, I guess you'd say. And some other ones include um, Nepal Castle, mm -hmm. uh, Connemara. Egan's has a single right. malt. Vintage. 
Uh, they have a single Vintage green and a single, single ball. The ten year is a single ball. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think Whistler's has a single ball now. So there are single malts out there, but most of it is what you're talking about with un un unmalted. A combination barley. of malt malted, excuse yeah. me, and unmalted barley. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when you think about the history of whiskey distillation, I mean, a lot of the, it, it does start here. You know, the Scotch and Irish can fight over it for the rest of their lives, but you have to give um, a lot of thought to the fact that we have whiskey because of Ireland. Yeah. yeah, Irish monks yeah. getting drunk. Exactly. Those monks just love drinking, man. They got Irish Irish whiskey. They got chartreuse. They, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I think that one of the reasons why we started talking about this kind of stuff, we started talking about doing a podcast to begin with, was that there are, that everything is so much more than a, the two or three sentence conversation. For sure. Yeah. And to examine whiskey is to examine not just you know bourbon, but like you know not not just single malt scotch, but everything, and Irish is this amazing category where it's it's dominating sales worldwide. It's growing every single year, yet still in certain pockets of the whiskey world, it's vastly misunderstood and ignored for being either underproof yeah. or not as aggressive in flavor. When I, I believe firmly that we're going to go, you know, elegance is going to be re-embraced in whiskey and that we're going to be able to you know, um, re-appreciate Irish whiskey in a way that we haven't for a long, long time. Supremely underrated Absolutely. in many cases. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it really is. And I maybe it's just me getting older, but I'd almost rather have an Irish dram than um, a lot of the really high proof stuff. I'll get shredded for that, but I don't care. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, if I want to have more than one ounce or two ounces, oh, maybe that's the way. You, you know? can definitely have a longer night out. Hundred percent. If you're not yeah. doing full proof the entire yeah, time, exactly. Yeah. But that that all turn into a lecture. <laughs> I don't watch it. Well, you guys want to talk about what we've been sipping on? Yes, please. Episode? Yeah. I can start. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've got the weirdest one. Uh, um, so this is a good one if you're um, if you're a Scotch drinker, or if you want to learn about peated whiskey and really kind of dip your toe in with, with something that's not aggressively peated. But there are peated whiskeys in Ireland, and Connemara is one of them. This is a peated single malt from Ireland. Um, the peat is extremely mellow, so you get a wisp of smoke and still lots of beautiful orchard fruit and elegant flavor and a nice little malty uh, uh, mid-palate burst. I think that there are a million cool ways to, to get into this whiskey. Again, if you normally drink scotch, but you drink like Macallan or you drink Balvenie or you drink malted stuff and you're not ready to jump into Ardbeg or jump into Lagavulin, this would be a nice bridge. If you typically drink Irish whiskey and you like how mellow and elegant it is and want to take a step forward in flavor, uh, Connemara would be it. And I think that you can get a bottle for what, 35 bucks, which is really, really nice. It's apparently inexpensive for yeah. a world, like outside of the U.S. whiskey. Yeah. Right. Sure. And for peanut whiskey, too, because a lot of it's going to, aside from what's sure. beastie, you're going to spend a lot of money. Right. Yeah. For peanut whiskey. And I find that the, the peat smoke in that is, is like so elegantly integrated mm -hmm. into the dram. Yeah. Actually, almost reminds me of. Um, uh, the Welsh whiskey that's peated Celt. By yeah, Pandaren. Pandaren, yeah, yeah. So you get those light notes, but then also the smoky. We'll have a Pandaren show too. Yeah, yeah Welsh whiskey will be a whole good. other episode. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Where Courtney will again give us another history lesson, probably. No problem at all. Totally <laughs> got you there. You guys can really hear those pronunciations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Courtney, um, you want to go next? Yeah, I'll go with my pour. Um, thank you, sir. Yes. Powers John Lane. Um, a lot of people know Powers from its kind of uh base expression right but their 12 year is um is coming from the classic reimagination of the old powers john lane distillery thank you mark yeah 
Um, so you're going to get a lot more grain spice than you get out of the traditional powers or the kind of classic powers. Um, you're also getting a ton of notes of like fig and raisins from the sherry finish. And I also get, um, I get walnuts. Other people have gotten like almonds before, but in general nuttiness yeah. um, from this one. And um, that whiskey's got a beautiful finish. It's so nice. Yeah, it really does. You know, a lot of people like to venture away from the term smooth, but it honestly is. It is. And that was um, mm -hmm. when we, we've done Irish uh, whiskey blind tastings here at r, &R where we trot out eight different drams oh, yeah. and have people taste them blind, then reveal them at the end. And this scores really, really high. Was it the class winner? Or was it like it second? Was the class nice. It was this. Dead Rabbit and Writer's Tears. Yeah, yeah, I think we're one, two, and three. Yeah, we did that tasting together, didn't we? Yep. You and I? Yeah. Yep. I you know, I was, I was honestly. And you were, yeah, you, you blinded. I just drank. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was great. And I think you nailed like four out of eight, which was impressive. Uh, for, yeah. It's pretty good. Thanks. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Um, no, but one of the reasons why I chose it too is um, just for like a fun story time when I was in Ireland last time. Um, the old Powers Distillery took up a, like a square acre of the city of Dublin. So it took up a huge portion of it. And then with everything collapsing and like reforming, Powers got pushed out into the Middleton. But the pot stills are still there. You can actually go and see like all kind of like um, that like blue copper oxidation, you know. Yeah, kind that's of super cool. Pieced over. And the facility itself has turned into an art college now. So um, really cool if you get the chance to go. Traveling is not really happening a lot right now, but I would suggest Which has got to be killing you because you travel. 100%. Oh, yeah. I was there last two two years ago. How many times? Have I have been to Ireland five times now. And uh, I do try to, once I was old enough, I do try to make uh, whiskey tours a huge part of my, uh, my interaction there. Yeah, for sure. What do you got, Mark? I am sipping on Teeling Small Batch. Iris whiskey. Um, I picked this guy mainly to talk about uh, interesting barrel aging, basically, because um, this is, a, again, a small batch, but it is aged in rum barrels. So I find that on, you know, tasting notes for me, at least, um, I get a lot of like those nice like like pear apple notes up front, but then that that rum barrel aging, I think, comes in like mid palate and gives it a nice like weight and gravitas yeah. and a touch of sweetness as well, which I find is really nice, too. So. I think it's great that we used um, loggerhead and gravitas uh, in sentences. Uh, yes. Says the English major. I'm really lucky. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with it. Uh, I try to talk um, real good on you this. Do. <laughs> I, I think the um, another interesting thing about Teeling is that it's um, it's slightly higher. Yeah, you know, yeah. You're up, you're, you're up over ninety. Yeah, yeah. and my yeah. Irish plays around eighty to eighty-six. Yeah, ninety-two is what is what Teeling sits at. Yeah, Redbreast so. has a cast strength, and you're seeing stronger stuff right. come. Yeah, 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 it's good. Yeah, um, I think you're gonna, probably going to see more higher proof stuff because that's a worldwide trend anyway. But mm, Teeling, I think, really does it well because they jacked the proof up just a little bit, but it's in harmony with the, the barrel finish. Absolutely, yeah. It's in, it's in really good harmony with how sweet, how just the sweetness that any kind of rum barrel finish will. Oh, sure. absolutely, yeah, for sure. And of course, too, we've all been sipping on some, you know, Guinness as well. Blackstone, because you have to. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's great with the whiskey sidecar. <laughs> right, so we all know how to say cheers in Irish, right? Yeah, we do. I hope so. Yeah? Yeah. Slancha. Slancha, yeah. No, typical response is slancha allegore. Um, or to you as well, basically, right? Real quickly before we go, we do want to give a shout out to uh, iLogic Media. Help us put this yeah. out. Check them out on Facebook, Instagram, um, us as well, Relief and Resource on Facebook and Instagram. 
Um, I'm IOF Mark II on Instagram. If you guys want to share your handles, if not, that's cool. I'm pretty sure it's just Courtney Booms or Courtney M Booms. Cool, yeah, for both of them. My interaction is primarily through Relief and Resources on uh, yeah. Instagram. So, so. yeah, so. <laughs> like, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna resurrect that baby <laughs> just like Irish whiskey and it all comes full circle <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, thank you everybody our next episode um, will be in about a week or two and it will um, it will be the one that we mentioned at the end of the first episode we kind of pushed that uh, back so we could get uh, all the wonderful information that Courtney had for us for Irish plus it's just fun to talk about Irish right before yeah, sure. yeah. but it'll be about um a little less product specific and more about just kind of how to navigate having a good time in any bar, especially when that bar doesn't meet your expectations. So that'll be episode three titled "One uh, in Rome. So until then, um, for Relief and Resource, I'm John, uh, Mark and Courtney. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Sláinte.